This week, I did speak to two lovely ladies that joined me in the studio, Professor Donna Chung, Professor of Social Work here in Social Policy at Curtin University, and Lucille Rowland, who is the, long title actually, Instructional Designer and Learning Management Systems Administrator here at Curtin University. But now I'm very pleased to say we have another lovely lady joining me. I say lovely because they are incredible survivors and they're working in the right direction to try and make change. Robin Westgate, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Jenny. Thank thank you. you. Thank you very much. I've had a lot of uh, comment from people that heard the discussion I had the other day with Donna and uh, Lucille. Robin, your role here at Curtin University is what? Because you're involved with the other ladies, aren't you? Yes. In making change. I'm a project officer working in the area of family and domestic violence here at Curtin. I came to Curtin to help establish, as part of a team, the staff training around domestic and family violence so we could get awareness, make people understand that it definitely affected not just home but the workplace and tried to speak to managers and leaders about how they could potentially recognise what was happening in the workplace and how they could best respond, explaining very clearly that they were not counsellors and just to understand that Curtin as an employer has amazing services available for their staff, so we pointed them to how they could point it in the right direction, that type of thing. Very good thing. Is it, is it, has it been established yet? It's in the process. Um, we did a, a pilot program and it's going forward from there now. We're restarting the training uh, in the new year. It, you know, this is what we were discussing the other day. It's a very, it's a horrible silent situation for so many that uh, don't want to come to work and talk about it. They'll hide their bruising. They'll say, yes, I fell over again. Aren't I clumsy? That sort of thing. Uh, you've heard it all. I've heard it all and I've said it all. You have said it all. You've got um, an incredible story yourself, haven't you? One of the things, though, about work is many people don't realise that work is actually a safe place. Home is where the danger is. Right. So coming to work is actually an escape and during COVID particularly many employees had to make um, allowances, allowances. (laughs) sorry, for women who and some men who would feel safer coming to work despite the, the, the COVID situation. You're absolutely right. There has been an increase, hasn't there, in this situation, this disastrous yes. situation. And you're absolutely right. Being at work around friends that you don't have to explain yourself, you, you are feeling safe. But going home, your hands start to tighten on the steering wheel. And as you pull in the driveway, if there's that what is behind the door. I used to have a spot on the road when I, was, when I went past a geographic spot. I knew that I had to stop being happy and face what I was going home to regardless of what had happened even often I didn't know what was happening but I would know anything could trigger or trip a response from my partner and that could be dangerous for me. Did you have a family? Um, I was pregnant multiple times and miscarried each time Um, several times from assaults and just several times from not being able to carry when you say you don't know what's going to trigger someone's behaviour, you, you, I mean, how long had you been married, for example? We were married 13 years. Wow, it's a long time. And yeah. the first couple of years were okay and yeah. it all changed when we married because I became property. Uh-huh. I, I belonged to my partner and literally that night he explained that I was now his and as such his to do with. Can I ask you this, if you felt this way, and I've heard this before, if you have a partner who has been 
fabulous up until that point at two, at two years in the early marriage and all of a sudden they say that to you, you think oh they must love me so much that they they just want me to be with them on the, on my own you don't look any further than that you're flattered for some reason yes you can be and also you're usually quite desperately in love and you will do almost anything to make that relationship work yeah usually the person makes you feel good makes you feel wanted makes you feel worthwhile and you you are scared of losing that as much as the relationship so you start little bits at a time by giving little bits away um compromising on little bits because you think it it can't be that important really you know the relationship here is far more important than what I watch on TV or if I see my friends and surely a bit of a compromise is that's what marriage is about isn't it you know it usually takes a lot longer to realize that the compromise is going mostly one way and that you're giving up a great deal of who you are Mm. as opposed to anything else it creeps up you know they 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 can say things like well number one you don't need your friends anymore you've got me i'm your family now and your friends influence you yes and i don't want you mixing with them and what are you wearing that out for and what do you do all day i used to um go to a patchwork group where i was the youngest by a good 20 years these these ladies were all at least late 50s 60 this was a long time ago and I was told that they were a bad influence on me. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> now, being that age myself, I can appreciate that. But at the time, <laughs> I couldn't see how this group of women could yeah. be a, a negative influence on me. You know, as a person that goes through that, and there are thousands of people out there, yes. and can I just say it's a majority of women, but there are men that get abused, so we all, that is absolutely true, but the majority of women, is that you try to understand, I try to work out why they do start to behave like that. And you can never work it out, can you? I have to agree with you about the um, who the victims are and my apologies to Lucille that I do say victims occasionally. Statistically, men and women are victims and perpetrators of abuse. However, statistically, it is predominantly female victims and male perpetrators. So many of us, when we're talking about family and domestic violence, do say female victims, male oh, offenders. You were a victim at the time. Yes. Yes, exactly, but you survived. Yes, uh, it was a very long road and uh, made me wonder if it was worth surviving many times. Yeah. And see, it comes back to you blaming yourself. Definitely. Yeah, that's that. That's how they want it to be, don't they? Definitely. There's a narcissism there? Or in insecurity, do you think? I'm, I'm not a practising psychologist, so I can't sort of clarify that, but I believe there's a narcissism there. Yeah. Um, there's a total lack of understanding or concern about anybody other than their own focus on themselves usually or what's in it for them. But that is something you'd need to actually get a proper opinion of, not just someone with a bit of knowledge. You were there for you were in the marriage for thirteen years, and yep. you suffered miscarriage. You were your life was obviously was turned totally upside down. Didn't know what was going to happen from one day to the next. <laughs> did your friends, or were you still able to see them? Did they pick up on anything? Did you share your story? A couple did. I didn't share it. A couple of friends did and were concerned, and I lied. I told them all was fine and wonderful because in my mind it had to be. I couldn't accept that it wasn't. I couldn't accept that the man I loved, the person I had chosen, was actually being this bad. His sister once asked me if he was hitting me. I was so shocked and so flabbergasted. I didn't know what to say. And in the end, I I basically said, no, 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 we're fine, we're wonderful. Mm. 
and I wished I could have confided in her because I thought really strongly of no, really well of her but if it had got back to him it, w- it would have been yes. horrific and within the family for her it would have been bad too the consequences you write of revealing the situation that's where they have hold because but yes they don't they know you don't want to cause all that upset out there because you're going to lose a relationship and where do you go where are your finances where are your friends that you haven't seen for some time it's it's not something that you can go to the phone move out happily and everything's fine no it's not that easy and often you feel very alone because you've been isolated I found myself in a situation where I actually did have some friends. I'd started a new hobby against um, his wishes. wishes. (laughs) I was allowed to start because I had a habit of starting and never finishing anything. I knew what a failure I was and how unsuccessful I was and I always used to give up almost before I started. And um, so I was allowed to start and... Um, I was also going with the wife of a friend of his, so I was supervised sort of thing. But I met a lot of people there and I made friends and these friends stuck by me and when I did actually leave, they supported me and they helped me. When I went back, it was very difficult for them because they had been quite open in their opinions of him and it was difficult for me to go back and then also talk to them later knowing what they felt. So I slated me even more. Yeah. Yeah. Why did you go back? I felt like I had been gutted I really was so so dependent upon him that I did not think I would survive without him yeah they'd get you to think that and he came and found me where I was staying and begged cried never do it again promised yeah yep we'd talk about it we'd see counsellors and I sent him back that night I didn't go back to him straight away and he was furious but I did go to him the next day at our family home Mm. And he took us out, he took me out to his very large shed and uh, most of the stuff had been moved back from the front of the building and Mm. the front of the building was covered in very large sheets of plastic and there was a chair. And he stood behind me with his arms around me and, you know, all very loving and explained that that was where he was going to sit when he killed himself after we had driven to where my mother lived and he'd killed her. Oh, my gosh. When he'd gone and killed my sister, then me. And then himself. Was, that was his plan. And oh the gosh. plastic was to make it easy for the police to clean up afterwards. Oh, how contrived. Mm. And I knew enough of his violence and his deviance, I suppose, to believe that it was possible he'd do it. And I was really hurting being away from him. I felt like I could not survive. And I went back. As it was, it was a very bad decision. Oh, yeah. Consequences. Fatal consequences. Um, Um, Can you share with us what actually then took place? um, The next two years were horrific. There's no other word for it. It was like there were no boundaries now. We'd crossed a line. I'd given up everything and become nothing, even more so. Um, I'm not going to go into too much detail, but... Um, I was pregnant and after multiple miscarriages I did not want to get my hopes up so I was about 12 and a half weeks and it was a very very bad day some stuff had been happening and I had thought my news would be good and it wasn't received that way and I received quite a beating and um, later that evening um, I killed my husband yeah 
and it was not meant to be that it was meant to be me but I was consequently arrested um, charged with the offence of the time was willful murder that is no longer an offence they've changed it all I was sent to Bandyup Women's Prison where I waited nearly two years for a trial was convicted to 17 years in prison I appealed and won on the grounds of uh, bad evidence being admitted so I went to trial again and was convicted again and again there was grounds for appeal because of some things the judge said and um, I just couldn't I couldn't do it again so I spent 17 years four months one week and one day in prison in predominantly bandy up women's prison and then later Baronia pre-release centre here in Bentley and was released uh, five years and one month ago. How could that not affect you? Did deeply. I bet it did. In a funny way, being in prison was actually safe. Well, that's a very good point. Yeah. It it was settled, it was secure. I didn't have to think and worry. Um, How did you get through those years? uh, (sighs) Denial, I think, to start off with. But you became productive, didn't you? Oh, yes, yes, yeah. I did. I um, discovered that I have a brain. Yep. And an amazing educator inspired me and encouraged me to start studying. So I did a few little courses, then got involved in university. And now I have a couple of degrees and some postgraduate qualifications and a fair bit, a lot of training around mental health and um, counselling and yeah. type of thing. And I'm just in the process of setting up a PhD for next year. You're amazing. (laughs) How many fantastic women out there that have been in such a turmoil with their relationships uh, that they have got to the point where you were, where you just didn't believe in yourself anymore and yet they have had that capacity like you've shown? One of the the big areas I work in, as well as family and domestic violence, is actually about um, education in prison. Yeah. And one of the things that shocked me when I went into prison was that 90% of the women in there are victims of family or domestic or sexual assault. That's 9 out of 10 women. That's high. Terrific. Yeah, that is high, statistics. The statistics in the community are bad. This is horrific. There's also, um, I think it's 60% of the women in there are not functionally literate. Yeah. So there's a lot of failure happening around supporting families and, and around poverty and domestic violence and lack of education. Yeah. I, one of the, my qualifications is in teaching and training and with the support of the amazing staff there, I set up English as a second language courses and um, some pre-courses to getting women ready for cognitive behaviour therapy classes they needed to do for parole. I mentored and coached several women into going into university I was really chuffed to meet someone recently who had just finished a Cert 3 in something and I'd taught her to read 10 years ago. How gorgeous. I was so, so happy. Yeah, Um, totally. How would, you know, yourself or a mother listening at the moment to think that their daughter might go through something like that? You know, with all the students that we do have here, you have got a, you're going to have something set up. And I would imagine, I think I spoke to you about this, we've got to be able to probably let people know if you've had the experience yourself on what signs to look for. That's a really hard one. I know it is, yeah. Um, The student population at Curtin is actually one of the biggest demographics of um, assault against women, both sexual assault and intimate partner assault. 
and the university where it's quite hard I believe to setting up courses and that to raise awareness amongst students and by also getting their staff to be trained up which they're doing so they can be aware as well so everybody's on the same page you know what to look for you know to be respectful and listen Mm -hmm. one of the biggest things you can do for someone who is suffering is listen I don't mean oh yes this happened to me and oh yes I know that I mean listen it is the greatest respect you can pay because usually they're being told they're not worth anything they've got nothing to say if you have them the courtesy of listening, you'll have much greater effect. And it might not work the first time. Mm-hmm. They might reject you. I certainly did. I pushed people away. Yeah. But eventually, knowing that some people were prepared to give something back, I was allowed to open up. If you had a work colleague that you had just an inkling that there is something very wrong and like you, they, they may not want to open up, you can't start listening until they want to say something Are there any clues verbally that they ever give or that you've ever given? There are lots. But saying what I would notice and what an average person would notice are probably quite different because I'm hypervigilant. However, I think your gut will tell you um, if something doesn't quite feel right. And there's also things like potentially always wearing a long sleeve shirt, even in hot weather, or a scarf um, around the neck because I was strangled multiple times and bruised quite badly. Um, Occasionally they might wear much heavier makeup. They might be hiding something. One of the big forms of abuse is financial abuse where their wages, they don't have control of of your wages. So they might not be able to join in on the quick cuppa, on spur of the moment cuppa or, you know, go across the road and buy a cake and sit with you. Often if they can't change their plans at the last minute... Now, understandably, many mums are in that situation. Yeah, so it's confusing yeah, sometimes. Very. But you learn to put two and two together and you sort of okay. go, hmm. And the it, best it, thing you can yeah. do is basically say, look, not my place perhaps, but I'm here. Okay. Yeah, without open, having an opening dialogue. Yeah. I think there's something wrong. Do you want to tell me about it? That's mm, probably not the right yeah, way to do it. Maybe not. Yeah, uh, it depends on you and your relationship with the person. Oh, yeah. If you know them very well, you could probably say, I think something's wrong because mm. you would know them. But, again, trust how you feel about it. Trust the relationship you have with the person. Mm. But just basically make it known that you are there, you're happy to listen and mm. you're safe. You know, if someone's listening at the moment and they know of somebody that perhaps is in that particular position, um, do what you you have suggested with the dialogue, uh, but also they can contact Lifeline or 1-800-RESPECT. Yes. And there's so many groups out there now. There are many, many services available now. There are many services that um, are quite safe to contact because... The internet has done many things, bad and good, but making services more available is one of the best. And many places you can safely go to because there's usually an escape button on them where if you're on a website and the screen is up and someone walks behind you, there's a button you can press and you instantly jump off the site so no one can actually see what you're doing. Okay. Because that's a big thing, um, you know, being caught yeah. looking at something you shouldn't look at or something like that. The ramifications could be really high. That's why people hold back, I think, yes. making that first step. Yes. And wh- wh- I was asking the other day about uh, from Donna and uh, to Lucille, uh, Lucille, when you ring these people, you're still going to be very afraid of what you're going to say and what's going to happen. Of course. Do they have a plan in place? Um, they're all highly trained. Yeah. 
uh, particularly Lifeline. Um, they're exceptionally highly trained. Um, and they know that there are certain routes to go down and certain ways to address, certain ways to ask questions and to ask questions that don't require a yes or no answer. Mm-hmm. Don't. I was a master at being able to get out of conversations yeah. and turn it around and look for things like deflection. So if you ask somebody something and they deflect back to you, um, some people it's a matter of lack of, secu- no, lack of um, confidence, but in many people it's a way of get this spotlight off me this second so again learn how to listen there's there's a lot on the internet about um, listening properly and how to do things we have to do something about this there was a fabulous article I've just put in front of you that was written by Jenna Clark in the West this week about exactly this situation and the statistics that she quotes there is just out of control very much so yeah Worth reading, actually, and uh, the excuses that we all make, I think, if you are a, vic- a victim at the time, and you are a victim at the time, it's probably an appropriate word, if not, if it's horrible, <laughs> but at the time you are, and you've survived, you've come through, and you've turned it all around to help others, you've got a, you're creating the first of a series of specialist, massive, open, online courses, courses. right? They're called MOOCs. 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 Okay, good. <laughs> Sounds really good of a Scottish accent, actually, but yeah, <laughs> I don't do that one. MOOCs is one of the new forms of micro-learning that um, Kurt and a specialist set. Yeah. And we're putting together the, the, the first one, Lucille Donner and I, at the moment. And we're hoping that that will start getting people interested in asking questions, a bit of basic information, dispelling the myths, because there are so many myths out there. If I had a dollar for every time I was asked, why didn't you just leave, I'd probably be set up for, for um, retirement. Mm. But people don't understand. They make assumptions. If we can get the information out there, later we'll look at doing specialist MOOCs so that we can look at specialist areas like financial abuse, cultural and religious abuse, social isolation. Coercive control is a massive matter at the moment. Non-fatal strangulation and um, intimate partner death or homicide. They're all huge issues. One of the biggest things, though, is we have to get people educated. That's right. It's all very well for us to raise our awareness and that, but we have to get the Mm. judges, the courts, the police. And that's no disrespect. They do a good job in bad circumstances. But we have to get the knowledge and and education out there amongst the people who are decision makers and the politicians. Well, you're right, because up until probably the last few years, things have still been hush-hush about this. Very much. And now we're talking about it very openly. You've shared your story. There'd be hundreds of stories out there. Thousands. Not dissimilar to thousands, you're right. Not dissimilar, not just here, but around. And and cultures. We've got to unfortunately go. But you must let us know when you do have that site up for the public. I will. And they will hopefully take advantage of that and change their life and make you know get to know that they are very special thank you for giving us the opportunity to talk oh, about absolute it. pleasure robin it's just wonderful to meet you good on you robin westgate joining us Radio.